0: Hi everybody, this is Brett Garsed and I'm the guitar player for the John Farnham band and you are listening to the He's the Voice podcast.
1: 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2,
0: 1.
2: And the winner is
0: Mr. John
2: Farnham. John John Farnham.
0: John Farnham.
3: John Farnham. John John
1: Sir John Farnham for History Jack. But I, most of all, would like to thank my manager and very close friend, Glenn Wheatley. He put his money where my mouth is, and I thank him very much for that. Thanks, Glenn. Thank you very much indeed.
2: Farnham fans, you're listening to He's The Voice, the one and only podcast devoted to Whispering Jack and the remarkable career achievements of Australian national treasure John Farnham. My name's Adam Stolfo and I'm feeling a little bittersweet as we approach the end of this nostalgic journey, (laughs) but I'm joined here for the branding out of the album by the man who surely... Owns more copies of Whispering Jack than any of his competition. The great Nigel Langis is back with us for the final song on the album. How you doing, Nigel?
4: Hey there, Adam. I'm good. How are you?
2: Really, really good, mate, but a little bit of sweet, as I mentioned. Uh, a little sad we've got there. It's quite been quite a journey, actually, hasn't it?
4: Yeah, it's incredible. When I think back to that time when we were sitting in a coffee shop in Melbourne, writing down ideas about what it is that we think we could possibly do with a podcast, yep. and look at where we've come and what it is that we've achieved so far... And here we are, talking about track 10 on the album, Let Me Out. Written by John himself. Yeah, and what a song. Mm. I've loved this song from the time that I first heard it on the album.
2: Yeah, and I do have a question for you right off the bat, Nigel. Would I be right in assuming that this is one of your favourite non-hits from Whispering Jack?
4: Yeah. No not, hesitation. And not just one of the favourite album tracks off of Whispering Jack, I think this is one of the standout album tracks mm. of anything John has recorded in his career.
2: Ooh, that is a huge call, but you know, I, I'm finding that hard to argue with you. I'm not mm. really going <laughs> to. That's for sure. Also, do you think this is John Farnham's greatest final track?
4: I think it's thanks to Let Me Out and Whispering Jack. I've always been interested in listening to the final song of any album. Yep. In addition to Let Me Out, I think Some Do, Some Don't from Age of Reason. And Talk of the Town from Then Again. Mm-hmm. And let's not forget Help from the Uncovered album. Yeah. They're all standout final tracks that are a real departure from the rest of the album they're featured on.
2: Yeah, you're right. And and definitely, definitely would let me out. Like, and that's what works so well with this song is because it's the footnote
4: of the album and it's a tone shift. Oh, you know? Very much so. Yeah, very Particularly much so.
2: after Touch of
4: Paradise as well. If you look at just those two songs, mm-hmm. the topic of each track, the way that they're performed, their tone... And their arrangements, Hmm. it's brilliant that they are placed alongside each other on the album in the track listing. Yeah. Hey, Adam, I just want to take a minute and add this into our discussion of Let Me Out. Okay. Let Me Out was the B-side track on the Pressure Down single. It was also featured as the B-side on the Pressure Down 12-inch extended LP. Yeah. And the UK and German pressings of the Pressure Down maxi single. I think it's an interesting observation about Let Me Out being the B-side of the Pressure Down single, that Pressure Down, the first track, and Let Me Out being the final track on Whispering Jack. Mm-hmm. So the tracks that focus on pressure, stress and frustration actually bookend the album, which is otherwise filled with messages of affirmation, inspiration, adoration and admiration yeah this
2: is interesting uh Nigel remember when we looked at trouble a few weeks back and I was very clear and adamant about the ambiguity of that song
3: yeah
2: (laughs) right well let me out I feel is the complete opposite not only is it clear what the song's about John himself has also been very open and descriptive regarding its meaning and origins (laughs) all right so and it's the good old LRB story isn't
4: it he's talked about that in the concerts and i think that's become particularly to the fans that has become common knowledge
2: yes he's let it be known that this song is ultimately about not being happy with lrb and the material he was recording with them and the sort of like the energy between the band members and the the politics i suppose and he just wanted to get out that's ultimately what this song is about interesting though because if you do look at the lyrics as well um the song doesn't have to be about that like it can also very much be switched around and used as a wanting to get out of a lot of situations in life. You know what Mm. I mean? Like you can interpret the lyrics that way.
4: Yeah, you can. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. So yeah. What do you think it is about this song, Nige, that makes it so, you know, such a highlight for you?
4: John states in the Whispering Jack concert that this song is the darker side of him. Indeed. And if you think back to the Johnny Farnham persona, that clean cut, wholesome, schoolboyish. Baby-faced. Yeah, that type of persona that he had. I think that persona for him was actually very difficult to shake and that's been evident not only in the books that we can read but also in the Finding the Voice documentary. Mm -hmm. It shows that it was actually a real challenge for him to shake that type of persona as he moved off into different directions. Yeah. And whilst I haven't spoken about them for quite a while, the siblings that I grew up with, the fact that none of them were Farnham fans, I think that type of persona actually had a lot to do with it. People still had that idea about John, even though he had undertaken the transition to John Farnham through the Uncovered album, moved through LRB and had that experience. Yeah, during the making of Whispering Jack and the release of Whispering Jack, I think people still had it in their head that they were dealing with that young Johnny Farnham. Yeah. And I guess in some aspects, Let Me Out was a, perhaps a representation to the general public of John breaking free of that. Yeah. Despite the fact that we know the song was actually written from uh, out of a desire for him to... Break Beyond LRB. Yeah. And yeah, it is a different direction to the rest of the album. And I think at its core, the thing I love the most about it is exactly as John describes it. It is that darker side of him. You can tell that it is coming from a, a deep place within.
2: Absolutely. Well, he sings the verses in this very, like, you know, he's not elevating or pushing the voice as, as his main instrument at all. He's essentially telling the story through mm-hmm. the verses. And then when you get to the chorus, he is screaming at us, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, let me out, scream and shout. So you don't really get the beautiful, like, you know, flowing tones of the yeah, song it, before, it's, like it we touch a paradise. Like ultimately he's singing the verses in this very like matter of fact fashion and then mm. the chorus is yelling at us. You know well,
4: when I listen to the album version, I do hear that there's a, it is certainly more melodic in how he performs on the album. But in the live spaces yes. I've heard very much that real it's almost like a guttural crying out to be heard. And for Escape.
2: But it is a unique John Farnham song. And the fact that he wrote this song as well, like it's actually quite fascinating, isn't it? You know? It is.
4: Absolutely it is. In the Graham Turner book of Whispering Jack, he credits the song to be written by John Farnham and David Hirschfelder. However, in every other resource that I can find, I can only see that it's credited to John.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you've mentioned a few times, Nigel, about the darkness of the song as mm-hmm. well. Uh, I, th- I think that's what makes it really interesting in John Farnham's body of work is the fact that, like, you know, he, he, he hasn't recorded many dark songs, like, you know, no. with the, with subject matter like this. So it does represent a particular era of his life as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's just great that he decided to, like, you know, step out of his normal comfort zone and record a song that is like, you know, in his words, dark. And he's also used the word bombastic as well Mm -hmm. to describe his own song. So very apt, very apt, I would say. Um, In regards to the musician credits for Let Me Out, Nige, we've got Whispering Jack on vocals. We've got David Hirschfelder on keyboards and Fairlight. We've got Brett Garsett on guitars. And here we go, Nige, this is what makes this song interesting. Backing vocals, here's the list of credits for let me out all from you're the voice okay so we've got rosie Bazzani, sandy weeks helen cornish penny dyer colin setches mel stanton david hirschfelder so they all sung on you're the voice as well mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but there's one addition nikki nichols um she's back for this one let me out yeah so that's the unique thing uh Fairlight and drum programs jack ross and dave here we go snappy fingers (laughs) we've got wicko Mm -hmm. jack dave and ross so they got four of them nige all to click and then they matched it all together to create that iconic sound that we that we hear in the song and the final credit low moans dougie obviously referring to doug brady Yeah. yeah That's it. Also, a uh, key thing to note with the uh, credits on this song as well, Nige, is that John is actually double-tracked in this song, uh, but to really, really great effect. It's almost like he's got his darkness or his shadow is, like, you know, singing along with him. This song does actually sound like you've got two John Farnham singing in unison, but slightly different. It's, that's what I mean by shadow. It works to great effect about the fact that he's essentially the backing vocalist on his own verses and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, does that make sense?
4: So he can easily be one of the backing vocalists. And Yeah. Um, so is it the fact that he's the backing vocalist or have they actually double-tracked the entire song?
2: I think that it, the entire song's been double-tracked, at least the verses Your God, have. I didn't know that. But I don't think that they tried to make it sound identical for the effect of the song. Mm. Because if you listen carefully the double-tracked version of his vocals is singing things slightly differently.
4: I'll have to listen specifically with the intention of actually taking note of that.
2: Yeah, and it actually actually brings a new dimension to the song. And, and we are obviously talking about the studio version, you know, the album version yeah. here as yeah. well. So yeah. it's been constructed this way for a reason, but it's very effective. It works really, really well when you listen for it.
4: Yeah, that's an interesting point. I'll have to take note of that.
2: Um, Nigel, let me add as a good song to bring back essentially our like little uh, lyric segment that yep. we pull in occasionally. Um, but uh, there are two key lines, one from the first verse and one from the second verse, that I wanted to bring up just quickly. So, the first one, which you can uh, you can help the listeners understand a bit as well, I'm sure. Trapped inside a prison with no walls, just like a Marcel Marceau mime.
4: Marcel Marceau. That's it. Was a French mime artist. Yes. So... And Uh, yeah when john sings this in
2: the in the whispering jack live version he puts his hands up like he's holding on to a couple of bars did you notice that like no
4: i've never i've not noticed that either yeah yeah, he's he's trying to he's doing his own
2: like mime where he's like ultimately holding like like he's like looking between two bars inside a cell
4: so um it's part of what i like about it is these verses they are so descriptive yes there is no ambiguity in relation to where this song is coming from. Definitely not. And there's no ambiguity about what this song is trying to express. Yes. Those words are so cleverly chosen and descriptive, it's astonishing. (laughs) So, yeah, the mention of Marcel Marceau just conjures up so much visualisation, and in the context of the song, it's one of the things I really, really like about it, for sure.
2: And from the second verse is this line, just let me out, I'm getting mad. You'd be surprised how close love is to hate. <laughs> yeah. That is one of the darkest lines released in any song, let alone one of his own. So, uh, yeah,
4: it's a point that David Hirschfelder actually specifically spoke about. So, um, why don't we take the opportunity to dip into our conversation with David Hirschfelder and listen to what he had to say in regards to that comment?
5: Well, I have a funny story about that song, which I don't know if John may have mentioned. He may have. um, But I remember we were working on that in his garage and Jill would come in and bring a cup of tea and biscuits every now and then. And, you know, she's very supportive, lovely, lovely lady. And um, anyway, she came in just when John was putting down a vocal, you know, let me out, you know, and uh, the, the, the lyric really upset her was, you'd be surprised how close love is to hate. Yeah. And she said... I hope that's not about me <laughs> and, and, John, and John said no way darling it's not about you at all not about you he he wouldn't actually say who was it about but like we all knew it was about he I think it was a complex it was a cry from deep within his soul he'd spent a career um, being told what to do and being sort of uh micromanaged by managers and music people around him. A lot of them meant well for him, but I don't think he had a chance to really come out and roar like a lion and be the the, the artist in his own right. And I think this song was his expression of that frustration. And at the same time, the therapy of actually writing a song about that was really empowering and, and a strong uh, artistic statement for him.
2: Nige, let me out uh you know one of the absolute highlights of this song and it is a real feature for this guy as well is guitarist Brett Garsett. um this is such a great song for him and we did speak to him about this in quite a bit of detail as well didn't we
4: yeah, we did. We did. And um, Brett has been an amazing contributor for us. It was fascinating to talk to him, to listen to the stories that he had to tell. And he's got a great story to tell about Let Me Out.
0: So I remember going down to John's house and yeah, he greeted me at the door and just, which just, I was just kind of having to get over myself, you know, oh, good day, John, <laughs> you know, I had my girlfriend with me at the time. And, and, uh, and I remember going in and, um, Back then, there were no little practice amps. Like I had a Marshall hundred watt stack, you know, so you couldn't exactly throw that in the back of the car easily. And I wasn't going to drag that into John's house, so I had this cassette player that I would use as an amplifier. And uh, Jill Farnham still gives me grief over it. She still laughs her laughs her head off at this. She said you walking in with your bloody cassette player, your, girl, your girlfriend in tow. It was just really funny. Just the kids from the book, you know. So anyway, I remember walking in there and Ross Fraser was there and they were, they were working on a demo for uh, Let Me Out. And uh, Ross said, why don't you just, you know, play a solo and let's see what you do. And I got lucky and played a couple of good solos and uh, they said, all right. And they said, well, what would you play over the verses? And I, I said, well, I don't know. There's, there's no vocal here. I don't know what I'd play. And John said, I'll chuck one down for you. And he just grabbed a mic, <laughs> grabbed a uh, Shure 57 and stood there in his living room and sang it. And I was just sitting there going, oh my God, you know, like no warm up, no, nothing. It was probably 11 in the morning. And here's the thing, like, let me out is in the key of F sharp. And I remember that the key we played it in was at least a minor third higher. It was in A, I think. And um, so, I mean, he's hitting like high, geez, like just unbelievable stuff, like. And yeah, I'll, that was, that was, yeah, once again, I think after that, I was too shell shocked to play anything in the verses anyway. I said, I don't want to play anything. I just want to listen to this. So, okay. you know, so yeah, it was, it was just amazing. What I tried to do was take a distorted guitar and use power chords to put that texture into those songs. Cause it's and the one thing that a, a synthesizer or a keyboard couldn't do convincingly. That's the one thing Hershey couldn't do. Nothing really sounded like a distorted electric guitar and, like I'm a big fan of a guy named Alan Holdsworth and Alan used to do that in some of the early bands he was in. He was in like a, he was in a band called the Tony Williams lifetime and he was so creative at using power chords in a really creative way because back then he only had a Marshall as well. He was kind of like me, all he had was an amp that made a pretty heavy sound. So he would use that. So that's the the kind of texture I tried to bring to all those songs. And, you know, I did what I could and, uh, and just like I said, I was just given nothing but positive, nice. positive vibes from John and Ross. They were awesome. Yeah. And um, and so, yeah, I was just trying to insert the sound, this distinct sound of a distorted electric guitar into that those songs and have it be in context. So, look, that would have been the challenge of, of John and Ross and, and uh, Dougie to to mix that. So it is in context, you know what I mean? It could have just been a synth album and no one would have really missed a beat. David had done all the solos of... It would have been incredible, so uh, mm. there's no doubt about that. So I was just grateful I could slot myself into it somehow.
4: Brett, could you share something about performing "Let Me Out" in the live space? We did that on that previous tour mm. uh,
0: before Whispering Jack, and I, I, that's another one of those songs where I uh, remember Sam coming up with just some great guitar parts, and I, that was I thought I'm going to grab these power chords, and that's going to be me sorted out. Yeah. And, uh, and then I remember Sam just coming up with some amazing stuff and I was going, see, there you go. That's, you're in the room with a bunch of pros, you know, like like that was just so evident to me that I was in the presence of greatness and I should uh, I should just listen and learn and that's exactly what I tried to do. Yeah. So when we got to the solo, it was great. I had a few tricks in place that I wanted to do. There was this one thing, I don't think it'll work on this guitar now because um, I, uh, I got, can you hear that? Yep. You probably can't hear it very loudly Maybe I'll turn it up a bit you It would have worked great bit. if I'd been able to uh... You can probably hear that, yeah? Yep. Yes, yes. Maybe um, Because the solo opens with this sort of harmonic And the, I used to be able to get it by just flicking the string here And It'll sort yeah. of happen <laughs> It does that sort of thing Love it Some other little trick in there What was it? Uh, I haven't done this in a long time,
3: though. <laughs>
0: that was it, yeah. yeah like, yeah, yeah. all the old Eddie Van Halen rip-offs. Oh. Audio. And they stole to, so much stuff from him. But uh, they got to expand it for the live version where
2: your solo got extended, which is amazing. Well, that's, uh, the,
0: that's the beauty of John, because that was him. He just said, ah, it's double it, you know, because, I mean, for the first sort of stages of the Whispering Jack tour we were doing pubs and things like that. We, we, it was the, the same length. And then when we moved from there into, uh, into the bigger venues and especially when it was going to be filmed and everything, that's just John, he said, Oh, I think it's time to double it, you know? So yeah. twice the length. So it, it was awesome. He just loved to give, he loved to give the band some feature, you know, It was amazing. Moments like to that. shine yeah absolutely yeah i mean just i couldn't play very many things on a guitar like i couldn't play acoustic guitar to save my life and didn't really know much about theory or harmony or anything like that but if you wanted 32 bars of face melting histrionics you come to the right place so yeah (laughs) that was what i had to offer i guess i'd have trouble doing it now you know i don't think that way anymore like i've changed so much over the years but back then I was capable of just playing flat out for as long as you wanted me to. I don't know. (laughs)
2: So we've got Brett's guitar solo from the album yep. version. Uh, yep. It's it's fantastic. He's also doing some great stuff in the verses as well, mainly atmospheric sounds if you, if you listen carefully as well. What about the live version from the 87 Whispering Jack concert? One of
4: the terms that I've heard used with guitarists is that they really shred it. And yeah. I think that's a great expression for how well Brett performs as far as this guitar solo.
2: But boy, does it suit the um, tone and the mood of this song, doesn't it? I mean, what Brett's doing here is extraordinary. (laughs) And the live version just really backs that up.
4: When we talked to David in previous episodes, he's spoken about the focus of trying to make this a digital album. So it's such a programmed thing. But then to have the guitar complementing that. So um, this song is such a good example. Of those two different elements coming together. So, yeah. the arrangement of the song overall from the programmed component is just spectacular. And Brett's performance, like you said, it transfers into the live space is just jaw dropping, I think.
2: When you watch that live version on the Whispering Jack concert as well, like very low lighting for the atmospheric verses. And then when the chorus comes in, all the lights just light up mm. <laughs> as well. So, It's an interesting structure, like, as in, like, you know, what John's done here with this song is actually really, really interesting.
4: Yeah, I agree. Um, You know, you can just look at um, not only is this song a departure from the rest of the narrative of the album, but then, as we said, the construction of the song um, being... The electronic versus the guitar and them coming together then you're talking about in the live space and the fact that um you know that that staging and the presentation of the song goes from the dark and lower lighting uh during the verses to the bright lights and everything again in the choruses yeah no matter how this song is presented in every possible aspect this song represents that real showing of two different sides and that real uh, you know almost like a tug of war going back and forth constantly through this song
2: it's also the one song on the album that doesn't really feature a particularly strong or memorable baseline but it doesn't need it like you know what they do use particularly those low moans from dougie as well like they essentially play the part that the song requires but compared to the other nine songs, Nige, it doesn't really have like a, like a, it's a very, very basic uh, bass is what I'm saying. Like mainly mm. the chorus. Uh, it doesn't matter is what I'm saying. Like it doesn't need it. The way mm. it's been constructed is perfect.
4: Yeah. Hey, Adam, so. we've talked a lot about Let Me Out. And sure, we've still got some points that we could cover. But now yeah. would be a really good time that we actually tune into some of our other guests and listen to what they had to say about the song. So why don't we take a moment to listen to Gus, followed by Lindsay, Chong and Gaino.
0: It's another dark song, isn't it? Like, um, yeah, it is. Is it? What's he? What's he want to be let out of? Is it a? Uh, is it a band? Is it a relationship? Is it You know, it can be anything, but mm. I think we know what it was. But um, yep. yeah. but it's a dark song, and it and it yeah, it was always good fun to play that one. It's a big, big sort of rock song, dark. Once again, you know, quite sort of quiet in the verses, and then back to
6: guitar at the end.
2: Mm. There's a particular lyric in "Let Me Out," which I you know, is always very, very dark. You mentioned the darkness of the song. It's the the lyric that's something along the lines of, like, you know, like, you'd be surprised how close love is to hate. Yes. <laughs>
0: Good line, isn't it? It's a great line. I and mean, just to know that that came from John, of all people, is, like, quite a I surprise. I know. I know. No. He, he, and, yep, yeah, I think there was, a, you know, some some stuff going on in, back in those days, you know, and it certainly wasn't, a, well... I think we know what it was to do with another band he was working in, you know? Yes, 100%. Yeah. So, He's
5: admitted that, yeah. So, yeah, sure, uh, definitely. Yes. I think the sentiment was reflected in the song. Yes. And it wasn't something that any of us ever really felt. So it was probably something that was more pertinent to him than it was to us. So for us, it was just an 80s song that we sang. We do it well, but it was not something that you particularly embraced. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, it was a big showcase for Brett and when we spoke to Brett about it uh, obviously you know he, with his very very impressive guitar solo in the middle um uh you know he gave us some really good insights with it there so oh well he,
5: you know exactly and to see that every night was just a you know a, a real privilege real yeah. privilege
6: yeah i i yeah. love I, as i said i love them all all the songs that we don't regularly play i love playing them anytime yeah. as i say john do you, do you want to play the song? Is say, no, nah, no, nah, nah. Oh, okay. You know, I try to push, except no one comes close, you know, and Love to Shine. They, they're all in our Botswana. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, When it was done live as part of the Whispering Jack tour back in 1987, um, yeah. they decided, for whatever reason, they decided to remove the, uh, you know, the clicking throughout that song. Yeah. Um, but yeah. you decided to bring it to the forefront and I thought that that was great because <laughs> it worked well, really well. Well, I,
6: I, I, yes. I love the snaps, you, you know. So... Yeah why not did you have and, to recreate and, I,
2: that with real with real snaps or was that all completely electronic
6: well i, I just sample a couple of times and and do it and and oh, cool. and, and that becomes a that becomes a, an electronic sound you you sample it and then you play it on the keyboard and it becomes an electronic sound and and a simple sound like this when you we put it on a keyboard and play it it becomes sounds me- mechanical but you you can you can have those sounds in sample libraries and stuff but it's a matter of getting the right snap Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Yeah. A snap is a snap. A clap is a clap. You, you know, you got to get, get the right sound. Like, oh, oh, totally. So you have got to be very discerning in making the sounds.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That came from Little River Band. That uh, came.
4: we
3: know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Let me out. Yeah.
6: Three
3: men shout. <laughs>
4: me so it sounds like it was probably more a uh, a reflection of what actually happened. Um, well, very uh, much. Yeah.
0: Very much. And, and I'm, um, it's cathartic, I'm sure, to write write it down and mm-hmm. send a message back home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it yeah. Okay. I mean, he did it more eloquently, I think, in Playing to Win. Um, that was probably more specifically directed at Little River Band at his time there, but Let Me Out was definitely yeah. part of that mindset.
2: It represented the end of that era. That's yes. right. Yes, yes. Yeah. A funny note uh, or a funny aside with the 2011 uh, Let Me Out performance from Whispering Jack 25 Night is the fact yeah. that, John, whether it was intentional or, or a slip, uh, decides to change the lyrics um, from pushing it uphill to pushing shit uphill.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. And um, I really wanted to know whether or not he ever recorded a version of it pushing shit uphill because um, it's so easy to see. I don't think there's any mistake in that at all. Yeah. Um, to me, I th- I've always assumed that that's actually the way he wrote it Yeah. Um, and that he had to sanitize it to make it appropriate to, for the to album. To
2: the S and the H.
4: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, yeah. and um, we did end up asking a few people about that and they said, you know, that was in an effort to make it more commercial that he dialled it back a bit to pushing it uphill uh, in the album version. It so represents that edgy, rough around the edges component of everything that that song's about. And let's face it, if you're in the situation that he was in, feeling the way that he was feeling, Pushing shit uphill is a pretty mild way of describing exactly what it was that he was actually feeling. So, yeah, I, but I loved hearing that. And I so wish that they um, would have recorded that and actually put a version of that out. Oh,
2: my God. Yeah. Can, yeah. You, can you imagine that, Nige, a, a version of Whispering Jack or a re-release of Whispering Jack, which has that little uh, note down the bottom stating like an offensive language or something like that? Like...
4: Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll...
2: That wouldn't be something you'd expect on a John Farnham album, is it? Um,
4: it's yeah. Again, it just adds to that, you know, this is no longer the clean-cut boy-next-door type yeah. of image. Yeah. And it just taps straight back into what it is that I love about this song, everything that it represents. And so, yeah, the change of lyric for the live performance of the 2011 was so welcome. And if ever the song would ever be performed again... I only hope that it will be performed the way that it was in 2011. Absolutely.
2: So, yeah, let me out. It's a staple and a perfect end to what is, you know, quite a remarkable album. I, I, I don't think there's any, there's any argument with that.
4: No, sure. no, not at all. And I'll say that any time that I'm singing along to that song, um, I never sing Pushing It Uphill. <laughs> <laughs> Ever. <laughs> never. Yeah. So, yeah.
2: So in regards to the live versions, Nigel, we haven't got that much to work with. We know it was performed as part of the Whispering Jack and Jack's Back tours before Mm -hmm. it was given a 24-year break. (laughs) It came back along with all the other songs for Whispering Jack 25 in which it got a really, really great uh, arrangement and performance from the band in 2011. So it's actually the song from Whispering Jack that John performed the least as the years went on. So post the 86, 87 Whispering Jack era anyway. So mm-hmm. unlike a song like Going, Going, Gone and then songs like Trouble and One Step Away, which we heard as recently as 2018, right? Let Me Out seems to have been the song that John has decided is not one that he wants to essentially carry through. You know, I don't know if that's got something to do with the fact that he wrote it. Maybe he maybe doesn't like it as much as the fans do. Maybe? It's hard to say.
4: Yeah, yeah, I, I've but... not given that any thought. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I'm aware that it, it has never really featured um, in his performances, that, yes. that it's it's a specific thing where it's included and that's reflecting back on Whispering Jack, but uh, yeah. Yeah,
2: and that's why I made mention of it alongside the other songs from the album that would be the on the lesser side you know, or the lesser known songs, you know, so. But, you know, it makes
4: me think, it makes me think though, uh, you know, for for artists, yeah, for John, but you look at anybody uh, who is a singer songwriter, you know, um, I always think about, you know, someone writes a song and it might be about the love of their life. In regards to that, John Denver singing Annie's song, you know, it's a beautiful song, but, They ended up divorcing, but for the rest of his career, he still had to perform this song. When sure, it represented a time in his life, but you grow and change. And there's many artists that have written songs about either the relationship that's failed, the relationship that's bitter, equally the absolute love of their life. And it makes me think, for those artists that write those songs about the tragedy of the breakdown of a relationship, and let's face it, Let Me Out is focused on the breakdown of multiple relationships, professional working relationships. Mm -hmm. Do you really want to be tapping into that for the rest of your life?
2: Exactly.
4: You know, so I'm not surprised that this song features when it's Whispering Jack specific. Because why would you want to constantly tap back into something that is actually an expression of a very difficult time in your life? Why why would you want to be constantly needing to revisit that 20, 30, 40 years later so I can appreciate why it's been left aside? Um, and and oh yeah. me
2: too. It makes perfect sense to me. Don't worry about it. Yeah. yeah. Um.
4: So yeah. So that's that's why I think essentially it, it has not seen its way travel through in the way that reasons uh, a touch of paradise, you're the voice, pressure down. You know they've enjoyed almost you know constant representation with any performance. Whereas um, yeah, I can see why. Yeah, well said, Nigel, couldn't have put that better myself, yeah. Adam, before we bring this episode to a close, I just want to go back to an earlier point, that being that John's the sole writer of this song. Mm -hmm. I've got a bit of a treat here, and for some of our listeners, it might be a trip back down memory lane, and for others it might be a trip down amnesia lane, something they maybe want to forget. (laughs) Yeah. It's an interesting fact that John's actually recorded eight different tracks, in his recording career prior to Whispering Jack, where he was the sole writer, yeah, I just want to step us through those eight tracks and where they sat in his recording career. Okay. So what we're going to listen to, the very first song is In My Room, which John recorded. It was put out as the B-side to the um, single of Sadie, and that yes. was released in
1: 1967. In
4: my room there is Hardy. In my room
1: there is sorrow In my room there's no happiness Only pain, self-pain From a broken heart In my room there are shadows
2: Well, the, the long-term John Farnham fans obviously know that one. And it was also featured in the Find the Voice uh, film uh, and then on the soundtrack. So it's very uh, very much in the consciousness again.
4: It is, it is. So moving on. Um, so the actual Sadie album itself was released in 1968. And on the Sadie album, on side two, track four is called Come Back to Me.
1: Come on back to me
2: very very much an album track that one
4: oh yeah sure so interesting the next track that we've got is 1969 the song's called two it's the b-side to the single of raindrops keep falling on my head However, there is something interesting about this. It was also featured on the 1970 album Looking Through a Tear on side one, track seven. But on the album, it's actually credited as two people, whereas in every other version of this song, it's only credited to John.
1: Yeah, right. Um, Two is one.
2: or leave all of these songs. Yeah. That's I think terrible. it's a missed I think it's a missed opportunity to uh not have two as the B-side to the single one. Oh, I think yeah,
4: that's yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yes. But yeah, so moving on from there, the next track was released in 1970. It's called Pretty Things and this was featured as the B-side track to the single Comic Conversation.
1: And you be more truly
4: following song that we've got was also released in 1970, so he had a bit of a run in 1970. Yeah, it looks um, like that way. This is um, track six from side one of his Christmas is Johnny Farnham album, and the song is called Good Time Christmas.
1: Well, it's Christmas again, but different somehow, from all the others we've had. Gonna call it a hippie Christmas With all the fun that we'll have
2: Everybody's gonna be... I we knew he actually attempted to write a uh, Christmas song. <laughs> there
6: we go. There you
3: go. Yeah.
4: Um, following on from that, in 1975, on the J.P. Farnham album, we've got track five on side two, To Be or Not To Be, which was also the B-side to the single of Things To Do. <laughs>
1: Just
4: a fool, and fooling is the school. Yeah, to be, to be or not to be, to be, to be that's or not to stay. stay
2: yeah, yeah. channeling some seventies funk there. I was gonna
4: say, let uh, that's, that's channeling Stevie Wonder from many years. That's amazing. Oh um, yeah. So yeah, Um interesting. Baka baka. yeah Yeah, a a really interesting song and then of course from 1975 we have to wait 11 years for whispering jack in 1986 and let me out
2: Like what about Jilly's song? Oh, he didn't write that by himself.
4: So, again, yeah. that's a song that is... So, the other songs where he's credited as a co-writer, in 68 on the eighty album, there's a song called Turn Around. As I said, in 1970, the song 2, Looking Through a Tear, on that album only, he's credited as a co-writer. In 1980, it's Jilly's song on Uncovered. Yeah. Um, in 1981, uh, That's No Way to Love Someone, and as we spoke to Nikki Nichols, she's one of the co-writers of that as well. Yes. In 1984, on the Savage Streets soundtrack, um, John's a co-writer for Justice For One and the song, The Quiet One You Gotta Watch.
2: What about LRB? I mean, Playing To Win is, obvi- is the obvious one. We know sure. Playing To Win, right? But what about any of the other uh, songs? So, like-
4: yeah, so here we go. Um, so in 1985 with LRB, Playing To Win and also, uh, Blind Eyes uh, as well. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, they're the two songs that he's credited for. And I think that actually probably plays a hand at why John ended up feeling the way he felt with LRB. Because I went through those albums and every single song to find out exactly how much John is credited. And they are the two songs of the three albums of material that he did.
2: Arguably the uh, the highlights of that "Playing to Win" album as well. No, those two songs. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, on Whispering yeah. Jack,
4: he's also featured on "Going, Going, Gone" as a co writer.
2: Yes, we've covered that. Yep.
4: In 1990, yeah. he is credited as a co writer for nine of the twelve songs on the Chain Reaction album. Yes. The songs he wasn't involved in are "That's Freedom," "Chain Reaction," and "The First Step."
5: Yeah, that's right. Um, And
4: then also in 1993, he's credited for 10 of the 14 tracks off of Then Again. And the songs that he was not involved in on the Then Again album were Angels, Only Women Bleed, The Reason Why and Rolling Home.
2: Yeah. Oh, Uh, Also Talk of the Town. He didn't write that.
4: Oh, yeah. Sorry. So I've missed that one. That's right. So yeah. there you go. So he's yeah. so nine of the 14 tracks. Sorry, I've completely missed of the town in my thing. And then in 1996, um, John is credited uh, as a co-writer on Second Skin <laughs> off, off of the Romeo's Heart album.
2: Yes. Um, and nothing n- since that time yes let me out and second skin two uh, ends of a couple of spectrums there i think but uh anyway <laughs> yeah
4: that's, a, that's that's for a whole nother that's, song that's at,
2: for uh, another day uh, yeah that discussion
4: good stuff well
2: nige uh that is it that is whispering jack uh yeah it feels kind of yeah, a little bittersweet. It's, I mean, it, it's been quite an achievement. It's been a long time coming to get to I don't, that
4: point. I don't feel that there's anything bitter about it. I have thoroughly enjoyed exploring those 10 tracks yes. in the way that we have. Yes. Um, and I can look back at the work that we've had to do to bring this together, Um, the, the exploration of the 10 tracks. Uh, we're not finished. We've still got several episodes coming after this one. Yes, we do. But this concludes the 10 track deep dive that uh, was really the essence of what it was that we wanted to do when we thought about the idea of doing a podcast. And I'm so grateful that we've been through what we've been through to arrive at this point it's fantastic i love it so there's nothing bittersweet for for me about it um i have thoroughly enjoyed every part of what it is that we've done oh me
2: too mate i use the word bittersweet just because of the fact that like you know it always feels good to get to the end of a like you know a marathon (laughs) you know Mm. like it it does it feels good uh but it's always an element of sadness because of the fact that like you said like it's been a very very enjoyable process from start to finish and you know we have been able to spend you know, um hours and hours talking about a subject that means a lot to you and me and yeah. to a lot of other people as well. So Yeah. And um to be able to uh, you know, have a like a companion piece to the album, to be able to get the backstories on these songs and hear from the from the songwriters and the musicians who have all contributed yeah. to putting it together, uh, is just invaluable, isn't it?
4: it's oh, yeah. just brilliant i'm so glad now in the podcasting space we've got something like this for whispering jack it deserves sure. it
2: there's no doubt about that it really absolutely does. so just quickly guys in regards to the socials for the he's the voice podcast you can obviously find us on x youtube we have a facebook group and we're on instagram as well um yeah so you know everyone track us down on there if you want to uh, sort of open up the discussion and talk about it a little bit further. If you've got more to say about these songs, we'd love to hear it. That's for sure.
4: Of course, we check uh, with all the comments that are left and um, where possible we respond.
2: Oh, yeah, uh, we appreciate every single one of them, no doubt.
4: For sure, for sure. Well, that's it, Adam. It's been great. Uh, Like I said, I've absolutely loved it. And um, as we like to do with the conclusion of each of our episodes for Whispering Jack, this episode as well, we've got the live version of Let Me Out from the 1987 Whispering Jack concert, uh, which was recorded at the Melbourne Sports and Entertainment Centre.
2: Featuring a, a highlight guitar solo from Brett at this one.
4: <laughs> it does, and um, although you won't hear me, believe me, when I'm singing along to this one. No, I won't be singing anything about pushing it uphill. <laughs> <laughs>
2: indeed,
4: <laughs> so, yeah. indeed. So, thanks again, Adam. It's been great.
2: It has, mate. Thank you very much.
4: Enjoyed it. And um, I look forward to catching up with you for our next episode, um, talking about the live concerts. And there's three of them. There's no yeah. shortage of stuff to talk about there. Absolutely. That'll be a good one. Looking forward to that one too. So, until then, Catch you around. See ya. Catch you, mate. See you around. He's the voice, guys. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much. This one's from the
1: album. It's one that I wrote. It's probably the dark side of me, really. It's called Let Me Out. Just as soon as I come to see you anymore, you're not giving, I'm not taking. I'm like a salesman with one foot inside the dog but I seem to get the feeling that I'm filling in for someone else's time. Trapped inside a prison with no walls, Just like the cell, my soul, my mind. Let me
3: out, swim
1: Street, I've lost. Oh. Don't try to cover up the fact you're using me to play with while you wait. Just let me out. I'm getting mad. You'd be surprised how cold
3: stuff is.
1: on the guitar folks